This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the Renegade Report. I'm Jonathan. And uh, Rahman is present. Not in studio, I'm afraid. But, yes, by, uh, by phone, but it's working. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Look, look at me in technology. This may be the best podcast ever because I don't have to see you. <laughs> uh, the feeling is mutual. The feeling is mutual. And uh, you know who else doesn't want to see us is Twitter. Twitter doesn't want to see us anymore. Right. Um, the relationship's I mean, what, over. What bullshit is this? Our account got restricted for 24 hours for a tweet from a year ago that was a joke about the Nasna fires. It wasn't even really a joke. So it was a, it was more like even commentary. It was basically, um, this, this person on Twitter had tweeted about, um, you know, the Nasna fires and if only the fires only attacked certain people. And, and what she meant by that is if only the white people were killed by and, and, you know, their homes, et cetera, were devastated by the fire, that would be a good thing as long as it could leave the black folk alone. Uh, as it happens, black folk and white folk were devastated by that fire. Um, as happens with, um, fires um so we just commented on that tweet um you know retweeted with a comment and said something like because she described herself as a feminist in her um uh, in her bio one of the things she described herself also described herself as a christian i might add um but uh she she we just said um you know when you describe yourself as a feminist but uh it's okay for people to die as long as they're they're not as long as they're white type of thing to die in what a fire. What are about something about white women dying in the yeah. fire, yeah. So um you know, which is completely antithetical to a so called position uh and her ideology. So that's all we tweeted. It's kind of I suppose you could say a joke, a, a, a comment, a commentary on her terrible um view. And yeah, that was up for eight months, I think, close to eight months or, or a little bit longer than that. Uh, Something like that. No problems with it. She had deleted the tweet. Uh, subsequently, there was a lot of backlash. I, I remember around the time she first doubled down. Uh, so she was called out and then she told people to get screwed basically and doubled down with some racist stuff. Um, and then eventually she protected her account and then came back with everything deleted. Um, but of course, the internet never forgets. We never deleted our comment because, well, yeah, why would we? Um, and so now our comment just existed with something about, you know, die in a fire. Uh, and someone reported that as hate speech. Uh, and, and here's a great example of why hate speech isn't hate speech, uh, because it's all subjective, right? So taken out of context, uh, you could go, oh, look, look at this, this account saying people should die in a fire, but that's not at all what we were saying. Um, yeah, I mean, well, yeah, but the funny thing is, so we were restricted for that. We couldn't appeal or anything to that respect. Mm. My, my other Twitter account was restricted as well. Yeah. And that one has basically nothing except links to podcasts. Yes. That was restricted for the same amount of time on the same day. So I'm not calling Stratcom out the, you know, out of the book, but. It sounds like Stratcom to me. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know, we we're just discussing just before we started recording that uh, they're very clearly uh, clamped down on certain views on Twitter. Um, we've seen it a lot in the U.S. Uh, and prominent people being banned from Twitter or being uh, shadow banned for a period of time, which is essentially what happened uh, in this scenario. Are you talking about the Muslim Brotherhood or Hamas? No, and the Muslim Brotherhood and Hamas are uh, more than welcome to spread their hatred on Twitter, uh, oh. as is uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad from Iran, uh, who constantly tweets about uh, 
uh, killing everyone in Israel. Um, and uh, now those people are fine. Uh, they fit with uh, Twitter's ideology, clearly. Um, and I think they're even verified. So Twitter actually endorses their views because that's what Twitter made verification mean now. It used to just mean identification, but now they remove it if they don't like what you say. So if they don't remove it, they clearly agree with what you say. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, they, they've, they've banned a lot of people. Clearly that has become a organizational, uh, way of approaching uh, their platform. And they've told their people in South Africa that this should, uh, be done here because I, I, it would seem, given that uh, both the renegade account and your other account were were killed off on the same day, it's uh, that sounds quite targeted. So right. I mean, cause, unfortunate. Cause what, what we really need in South Africa is another media safe space. We don't have enough of those. Yes, no, we don't have enough of those. And 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 really, what you want to do is you want to restrict any views that are either center or center right. Or even right, uh, you know, there's, uh, you, you can't have any of those views because we all know our, uh, our media landscape is littered with them. I mean, there's just so many, you know, the, the Mail and Guardian is so far on the right, Huffington Post so far on the right. Uh, so, you know, having us is just unnecessary, really. <laughs> Talking about the Mail and Guardian, uh, I, I did, well, I don't read them at all, but there was a, um, a bit of a, a fight because they, we had Tony Leon on a few weeks ago. Yeah, and he spoke about the fact that his father had nothing to do with Solomon Mushlangu at all, at trial or appeal or denial of appeal or anything like that. And Mailer Guardian says, "Well, fuck it, we don't care. We're just going to call him the hanging judge." So, yeah. <laughs> Winnie Mandela dies. Um, she's very complex. She's a complex character. We can't take, you know, we can't take one thing to demonize her. Uh, Raymond Leon dies, and they call him the hanging judge. Um, I, I'm not calling double standards, but yeah, sounds like double standards to me. Yeah, and I think there was much more in in, in Winnie's past than there was in the, in the case of Mr. Leon. Um, but and then they 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 issued apology, which was then wrong because they said, "Look, uh, he's not the hanging. We didn't hang him, but he sentenced him, and that was wrong as well." Uh, that turned out well, to be they wrong. Well, he he denied his appeal was the claim, which was wrong as well. Yeah. So yeah, and then. I see uh, Miss Patel, the editor man in Guardian. Yes. Then shits on Igbal survey for being disingenuous. Yes, uh, she tweets uh, on one of the days where they their front pages across their platforms all looked identical, uh, because you know Stratcom is the new white monopoly capital. Of course, uh, when you when you when one word runs out of traction, you just find another. Um, uh, she just she tweets the one day to say, well, you know, where's the sort of editorial integrity here? And it's very disappointing to see, um, which is freaking hilarious. I, I, it's there is just no self awareness, just none. No, especially considering it was two days after her fake hanging judge uh, headline. Yeah, amazing, uh, amazing. I, I mean, what irritates me in a time of of malfeasance like this, we need the fourth estate, i.e., the media, to be strong independent and call out the bullshit absolutely and yet, and yet all they do is just fuck around and publish fake news all the time it's quite disheartening well absolutely and that's because uh you know they're pushing a certain agenda and a certain ideology and we saw this with the first thing we ever dealt with on the show which was fees must fall um, oh, yes. back then more than two years ago it was michael cardo we had on the show to discuss it uh when uh, fees must fall were um you know uh, rioting essentially at, at is the best, probably the best way to describe it at uh, UCT, uh, as roads must fall, 
uh, sort of kicked off. Um, and that, that obviously led to the FISMAS 4 movement. Uh, and today in studio, because uh, we've gone on for quite a while, we do have, uh, we do have uh, a gent in studio who was a fees must fall list and uh, knows some of uh, the people involved in that movement, uh, has moved away from that. And uh, he's now, he's, he's, a, he's a student at Stellenbosch. Uh, he's a big fan of the show. I think that's fair to say. And Liacho uh, Mguni, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's... It's very good to be on the alt-right podcast with the <laughs> alt-right Jew and the alt-right French Arab. It is, it is. And we do welcome the alt-right black guy, um, you know, because, well, you must have internalized, uh, what? Internalized racism? Internalized, I don't know what you've got. I don't know how I graduated to that level. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we'll just, uh, we'll, we're keeping the Ku Klux Klan hats in the corner there and, and uh, we'll give you one just now uh, and officially welcome you to the club. Uh, thank you for coming to studio. You've been in Joburg for a couple of weeks, just on a on a break. Uh, you're, I know you're a hard worker at Stelly's. and uh, we wanted to get you in because we really wanted to talk about how you went from uh, being this guy who was, I assume, with the Roads Must Fall group, but it wouldn't have been Roads Must Fall at Stelly's, but that's really where it grew out of. Um, and now I know from our Facebook group, uh, you're very much on the libertarian side of things. So tell us, um, firstly, where you sort of grew up, where you, where you came from, what your, your sort of background is. And, uh, and then we'll go into your, your sort of tr- transition. Okay. So I was mainly raised by my grandparents. Uh, my mom moved in and out of the province due to work. She was working for water affairs. This is the Western Cape? No, in, yeah, in Springs, oh, in, Gauteng. In Gauteng. So cool. my entire life, I was in Springs, Gauteng. I was raised by my grandparents. Uh, most of my relatives tend to lean pretty far left. Um, my one uncle's a PAC member. Others are ANC. There's a, a familial contingent when it comes to the support of the left. So I was always raised around that environment. You know, when I was a kid, I was ANC under Tabumbeki, basically. <laughs> cool. Uh, then after Zuma came, uh, that point i just gave up on the nc but at that point i didn't know that it was like something ideological i just knew that okay i wasn't really a fan of this guy so i'm not about that life then in 2012 i started reading the likes of biko and subukwe so i was Mm. put in with pan-africanism black consciousness etc etc those ideas were pretty much put back into my subconscious so they didn't really get realized until 2015 and that's when Rose must fall hit. And that's when things like your the consciousness of your race came about, your socioeconomic circumstances, all of those things. You started relating to it personally and emotionally. Mm. And that's sort of how I got kicked into that movement. So that included Rose must fall. Later in the year, it became Fees must fall. Pretty much everyone went to the strike. I was there included. Yeah. Right. But then... 2016 came and I started to see what these people really like. It was a bit of a toxic environment. Mm. At that stage in time, I was actually looking for ways to keep myself mellow and listen to other points of view. So I would watch Milo Yiannopoulos videos. I'd watch Ben Shapiro videos. And then I got slowly introduced to other people, slowly got introduced to different thoughts. That sort of got my um, beliefs to evolve at that stage in time. To a point where later in 2016, um, we still went to Fismas 4 at Parliament, UCT. 
But then the way people reacted to us going to parliament rather than protesting with them in the morning, right? Because they are elitist in that way. You can't be halfway with us. You, you have, have to be part be, of the group. You have completely. to be part of the group completely. You have to think like us. Otherwise, we're going to kick you out very quickly. And you can't say anything that's different to what we say because then you're a pariah. So I think that's also got involved. Then at that point in time, I got introduced to the likes of Friedman, the likes of Seoul, mm-hmm. Georgia E.T. Then I started seeing why uh, economics and sociology are the way they are. I started noticing media biases. I started noticing all of these things. And then that that is eventually what led me to become a libertarian, so to speak. Yeah. 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 I think it's called a red pill moment, Liaho. Yes. <laughs> but 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 tell me, I mean, is there much tension between black consciousness, so to speak, and libertarianism? Because I haven't read Biko thoroughly. Yes. I know people who are black consciousness and there's a tension between them and, and the ANC members. So black consciousness, as explained to me, is about acknowledging one's own character as a black person and not being seen as inferior compared to others. It's it's almost like a, a self-developmental type of ideology. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on black consciousness? And does it fit into libertarianism in a way? Well, having read a bit of Biko, or quite a bit of Biko, it's, it's mainly his work is on you should not feel ashamed of who you are, Right. Uh, even though you've been struck down by a society, even though you've been struck down by a system, you should never feel ashamed for being who you are, which is African. You never forget your African roots, mm-hmm. you know. But then um, he was limited in the way that he thought of things. So thoughts of things economically. So he would say, oh, no, you are a black person, right? You've been struck down by certain systems of colonialism, apartheid, etc., Clearly, that is a form of uh, that is due to capitalism. So that has to go. We have to eliminate a space where uh, people rise above each other, and you should rather grow as a group of people. Um, where that differs with the ANC is there's a lot of people saying that the ANC is just a open branch of ideas that don't really know where they're going, or rather just a hollow vessel, rather than what the black consciousness movement actually wants. Hmm. So that's where they diverge. Where black consciousness movement diverges from libertarians is the fact that quite a lot of black conscious people are against the free market and being a libertarian, the free market is a fundamental part of your ideology. Yeah, so uh, it it sounds like there's a misidentified enemy. So if if Biko had sort of gone, well... uh, a bit more hotep, right? So he had gone, let's be proud of ourselves as uh, who we are, uh, sort of Jordan Peterson stand up straight, uh, you know, um, and then gone, and the way we can achieve ultimate success is by embracing capitalism, yes. for example, and yes. free markets. Yes. Um, actually, that, that might be perfectly fine um, and, and, and arguably is a way that, that uh, successful groups have, have, have gone about themselves in the world. Yeah, um, I I think you hit it right there. I think I identify more as a hotep more than a libertarian at okay, that point cool. in time. Well, you know, yeah. appreciating who I am, not being ashamed of the fact that I'm African, yes. but also not using it as a bludgeoning tool for someone else. Yeah, absolutely. so to speak. Yeah. 
Talking about Hotep, did you see a video by our former guest, Ali Shakur? Yes, unbelievable. unbelievable. Can amazing. I just describe that? <laughs> no, no, let me describe it. Let me describe right, it. So basically, it. Starbucks kicked out two black guys for just being there because they didn't order anything. They were waiting for a white guy to come, and he was late, typical. And uh, the, the barista was nervous, and they, I think they called the police on these two black chaps just sitting in a Starbucks waiting for this other guy. So now, obviously, there's a... Uh, a big story about Starbucks being racist. So Ali Shakur goes to, he, he's on Periscope. Yeah, the whole organization with 130,000 people is racist. All 130,000 right. of them. Yeah. Right, right. So Ali Shakur goes on Periscope on Twitter and he says, let me show you how racist Starbucks is. He walks into <laughs> a random Starbucks and he says to the poor girl behind the counter, some young white, I don't know, some white girl. And he says, oh, listen, I heard you're all racist. I need my Starbucks reparations. Where's my free coffee? And she's like, oh, my God, I, I totally saw that story. I'm horrified. I'll give you free coffee. Which one would you want? No, I'll give you a venti. I'll be, you know, black, of course, like me. And she's like, yes, of course. I mean, this is disgusting what, you know, Starbucks has done to these poor people. And he walks out. And he's like, racism is so profitable for me. Yeah. What a piece of what a piece of trolling! No, it's art, and um, and and you know, I think if you look at uh, Kanye West, um, what, what's happened with Kanye West over the past couple of weeks, um, I wouldn't be surprised if he saw that video. He definitely saw some of um, Candace Owens's work. Uh, Candace Owen used to be called Red Pill Black. Um, on Twitter, uh, basically, also described a similar thing to you, to you, Liaka, where where um, she also had these sort of collectivist um, beliefs and views, and um, then got exposed to some other things and started questioning everything, and is now firmly sort of on the right, um, and is very involved in a in a um, group called Turning Point USA, which is a, essentially a, a right wing. Uh, sort of lobby type group they go and they go to colleges and they do talks um and and she's very involved with that and of course the usual slurs you know she's an uncle tom and and all that type of stuff um well i question candace owens not because of the fact that she's changed ideologies yeah. i question her for a questionable past yes she had a sort of doxing website if i'm yeah. not mistaken so yeah i think there's a lot of controversy over that um <laughs> she didn't explain it uh, well when no. she was speaking to blair white and yeah she Dave didn't Rubin. she didn't and I, I think the reason she didn't explain it well in my opinion is because she was wrong I, I think she did something that was very dodgy and she tried to downplay it. So she basically, uh, to give a bit of background to the, to the listeners, she basically had designed this website where the point would be to go, if I had like an anonymous account on Twitter and I was quite like prominent and, um, I managed to make some good points maybe or I managed to irritate people, the plan was that they were going to like find out to track you by your IP address or whatever it was yes. or whoever might know you. Mm. They'd be able to go to a website and they'd go, all right, this account, you know, uh, Kekfrog327, uh, is Jonathan Witt and he lives at the following address and this is his details and these, this is who employs him basically. Yes. Um, and, the, and so it would create a database website, um, of anyone you didn't like. Yeah. Um, and that was the danger. It wasn't only necessarily set up for the right even, it was set up for the left as yes. well. In fact, the left w were the ones that freaked out about it. There was, mm. uh, I can't remember who it was. Uh, I don't know if you recall who, who, who it was that she had a fight with, but so, someone who's actually quite far left, um, got hold of her and said, you can't do this. Um, this is, you know, this is, this is going to be very, very bad. Um, and, what the website supposedly was never launched, but there was like rumor that 
uh, up to 600 people or something like that had already been entered into the database. There was argument about whether it ever went live. And I think the biggest problem was uh, she had a she had a now very infamous argument with Blair White on infamous. Dave Rubin on, yeah, on Dave Rubin's show where you have Dave Rubin just going, guys, 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 the whole time because they, they keep sort of clashing. Um I think her biggest problem is she didn't just go, listen, that was a really bad idea. I should never have done it. I was wrong, and um, I, I fucked up. And she's never really said that. She kind of said, look, uh, it wasn't a great idea, but uh, it never went like – she tried to justify it. Yeah. And I think that was negative. But, I, I, you know, the thing that Kanye West picked up on was a clip of her um, – uh, talking and then some people try to interrupt her and she was talking about slave mentality. Okay. And she was talking about how essentially people who have never been slaves who are privileged. She speaking to a bunch of, of, of black college students uh, in this uh, scenario. Uh, she's saying, look, you live in America and you're in college, like you, uh, in the world. And she's right. Uh, amongst people in the world, you are amongst the most privileged people on earth. In history. Um, in history. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you're, you're still whining about, you know, your ancestors who were slaves. They, they were slaves. You have no idea. You like, you are not slaves and you, you, you aren't even suffering as a result of their slavery any longer. There, there, there's no link. Um, and that's what she said. And well, you've got, there's a welfare link. Well, sure. There's, there's obviously all of all of that. But I think if by the time you're in college, uh, for that person, for that individual, and that's uh, the whole thing about individuals, right, yes. versus groups. Yes. Um, yeah. Anyway, and you've got Kanye West uh, becoming a so-called red pill, and people are losing their minds about it. <laughs> uh, Ramon, have you seen some of the tweets? <laughs> I have. He said it's like the new the new slavery is within our minds, which is something Hotep Jesus talks about all the time. But Yahoo, uh, I want to speak to you, Jonathan. We, you know we have a guest, right? And it's important that we speak to <laughs> Ramon. You know we're having a conversation, and I have a mute button for you, distant mute button today. No, don't mute me. I'll, I'll come there myself and stab you in the eye. Uh, I want to know more about Fees Must Fall because in, I mean, we started our podcast just before that they became really big. Yes. And so the, the momentum they had was really, really strong. So in 2015, I was not supporting them, but I, I sort of thought that their tactics were good. They went to the union buildings. Indeed. They got, you know, fired on by police. Indeed. And, and there's, there's like a lot of, uh, I, I see that. I'm like, yeah, you know, good. This is what the youth are supposed to do. Indeed. They're supposed to fight for the rights they think they should have or don't have. And there we go. And then in 2016, it became completely corrupted by politics. It Basically. appears. The, the, the three big leaders were all ANC or EFF, um, members. Mm. Uh, some, some are still at Vits. I saw Mr. Incredible Lamini the other day while walking through Vits to see a client and he's still there. Wait, the how come he's, he's there? Because wasn't he in jail? Uh, well, he's out on bail now, as far as uh. I'm aware. Um, but so it got completely hijacked. So when you were a member, what was the feeling of the, the, the group that you were with, and what and the, what were the real intentions? Was it fees all along, or was it all these other ancillary things they brought into it? So basically, in the beginning, it was fees. That was the main point of it, and fees. Well, the re the reality is that fees basically affected people of color far more i'm going to say black people so that's that was sort of part of it so it's basically a fee sort of thing then in 2016 that's when everything's changed that's when all the leftist leftist politics came into it that's when feminism came into it that's when political parties came into it and they sort of made the there was no real direction in the movement in 2016 
it was it was just sort of something that became a hazard, basically. Not only to the people to involve, but people like outside of it, people observing. It just didn't it it really it brought basically the movement brought too much to itself and then it wound up just doing nothing and just dissipating. That's basically well, what happened. Yeah, and then they got caught out, right? I'm not caught out, but essentially the president at the time, Zuma, acquiesced and says, yes, we'll have a, uh, um, whatever, we'll draft a commission on free, free education for tertiary stuff. Now there's, in the State of the Union address by Cyril Ramaphosa, they've got a new, like, subsidy for underprivileged children, um, kids to go to tertiary education. So, I mean, it's sort of like some, some element was successful, but the vast majority appears to be not successful at all. Not at all, not at all. Just just a mess that was left behind. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to go a little bit back because we originally, you know, that it started off with Rhodesmith's fall. I mean, that's where it started. And there was clearly indications of like a, a bit of a pernicious ideology with Rhodes must fall because it was that was identity politic based. So that that statue wasn't actually harming anyone, right? Um, I, I know that people were saying that they they felt uh, persecuted, you know, by having the statue there and 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 you know the the links of the statue and and so on. But I deal in in reality, you know, and and and, and it's fact versus feeling here. And yeah, you can walk under the statue and go, oh, I don't like that guy, and I, I don't like what he stands for. But uh, that's how you feel. That's great. And the fact is, is that that the history of UCT involves him intimately and, and that's why that statue was there. It's mm. just as simple as that. Mm. Um, so, you know, that started off with, with that kind of stuff. And, and, and there was also a lot of, um, those negative tactics. So, you know, there was, there was <laughs> throwing of feces and, and, uh, there was, uh, silencing of, of dissenting voices and all of that stuff that started. So, um, I think I think then what happened, there was that wave which I think what is Roman is talking to when when fees so so Rosemus Fall finishes essentially with the statue being taken down. Yes, don't know where that statue is now. I, I, I hope uh, Johann Rupert bought it and put it in the middle of his farm somewhere instead of Oh boy, hilarious! Um, but um, they they that gets taken down. Rosemus Fall has no reason to exist anymore. But yeah. then of course. It does have a reason to exist because the leaders turn around and go, yes, but the statue is gone. But everything the statue represents is still, still here. there. Mm, okay. Indeed. And then the biggest issue around that becomes, all right, well, the statue represents privilege. Um, and privilege means that underprivileged people basically have it harder. And so fees. Yes. And we go after fees. And, and there was a wave amongst a lot of South Africans, I think from – all different walks of life and all different um, ideological beliefs Indeed. that said, look, um, yeah, I can fully buy and, and I still can, can get with this. You know, I can, I can understand why it's not cool if some kid gets straight A's in the Eastern Cape in some small village and he cannot afford to go to UCT. Indeed. That is, that is a problem. Um, and I, I still think that would be a problem. Um, so, so there was this wave of support. And then, uh, and then, and then that lasted for a while, but the movement became sort of worse and worse. You describe feminism coming in, you describe some oh other sort boy. of um, identity politics coming into it. You want to tell us a little bit about your experience of that? I had some of the experience at Vits, which was interesting, but. I mean, if you're going to have a conversation with some of these feminists, you're going to have to 
basically prepare yourself quite well to be a bit of a distance away to make sure they don't throw anything at you in case you say something that triggers them and you're gonna have to be on your a game because they would bring anything to the party if you say anything slightly wrong if you're wrong on one fact they'll hunt you down just like that it's like a whole pack of people yeah they that's that's what they do yeah Anyway, so that became part of the movement and the whole wrong thing, you know, became part of it. And you had to, as you've already said, you had to toe the line exactly. Exactly. Um, and if there was any deviation from that, you weren't part of the grouping. And I think that they actually realized, yeah, go for it. I, I mean, just look at how they treated Chimamda Ngozi Andiche. She's like probably the foremost African feminist on the entire continent. And then when she said that she feels like trans women don't really have the same experience as real women because they've had the experience of being male. She got shut down badly. This is someone that's done so much for women across the continent. She got shut down by feminists that were, that have barely done anything, really. People that just virtue signal on their phones. So that that's the type of people that you're dealing with there. And I was around that for a whole year. Yeah, it's the religion, right? Uh, yeah. it's, 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 a, it's original sin, and if you're guilty of original sin, you can never really uh, make up for it. Uh, and if and if you remind anyone of your original sin, so to speak, like something like that, you know, being male, being male was the worst thing you could do at any of these events. You could mm. be called a rapist right there. Yeah, at a at a protest. Sure. And yeah. so I think that's when they lost a lot of people. Go for it, Ramon. Yeah. Well, the irony is Trimani Maxwelle, who who was the first guy to throw shit at the Rosemus at the Road statue, was caught on camera sexually assaulting women at a protest at Wits. Um, a few after in 2016, I believe it was. Uh, this is a man who's who's um, you know on video sexually assaulted women, and as far as I'm aware, he was still in the upper echelons of these must fall. Uh, after that, there was some consternation. There were some people, you know, pointing it out, but uh, you know, the enemy of your enemy is my friend, and you know, all these values are are largely contingent. It appears based on on the identity of the person holding them, not on the actions of, of the person. I mean, there are, are legitimate grievances that you could have as a woman in terms of the violence that women experience on in our country, uh, the rape, uh, the murder rates, all of that. Uh, they are legitimate. But when it gets to a point where if one of the people that's involved in the movement was higher up starts to get away with the movement just because of who they are in a position. Then you start questioning, what are we actually standing for? Is this something that is going to promote the livelihood of other people? Or is it something that is just going to bring a comeuppance for someone else? Yeah. Yeah. So, sorry, Jonathan. So, 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 Leah, just explain how you actually, as uh, Chris Martin and Gwyneth Paltrow say, consciously uncoupled from the movement. What was the final straw that, that broke the camel's back for you? Uh, it came about in 2016 when it was a second Fees Must Fall uh, strike. It was in, I think, September earlier that year. What happened was there was supposed to be a meeting and a whole coming together of all the fallists within our campus early on in the morning, right? And I was like, okay, what's going on? Is the movement still going on? Like, What's I, I didn't want to get into something I didn't really know about. So they campaigned the entire day, that entire day. And people that 
I thought I could confide in, people I thought I was close to, randomly just deleted me and a couple of my friends off our WhatsApp group. And I was like, okay, what's going on with these people? Then later that night, uh, we tried to speak to them and they're just being offish against us. Then it's like, oh, okay, that's a bit weird. The next morning, something like that happens. I go to that event and I'm looked at weirdly by those certain people, not by the whole movement, but by those group of people. Mm. And I was like, hmm, you know, for people that really call themselves tolerant, you seem to be really intolerant. So then that's pretty much what, what made me think, okay, this movement isn't as ideologically pure as we all thought it was. These people are pretty much here for their own intentions, right? People say that they care for other people, but really it's for yourself and then that's what led me down the path of moving away from that ideology Ramon uh yeah no what reasons were given for for them looking at you strangely did you confide in people that you had doubts about the movement itself uh yeah i did have doubts about what was going on because i didn't know what exactly people were protesting i didn't know whether it was fees i didn't know whether it was rape culture, I don't know what was going on and I didn't have any source of information. So it was just like, oh, okay, let me set this one out. And then, yeah, then they just looked at me weirdly like, okay, cool. You're an outsider now. Whatever. And it's like, wow, that, that quickly, eh? Like one moment just dashes away <laughs> everything that people shared. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right. So, Let's talk a little bit about, so Fees Must Fall, I suppose, has achieved some successes. Yep. Uh, <laughs> the government has announced free education. So that's, uh, if you told them three years ago, you know, you're going to get free education out of the government, as at least as a promise, they probably would have taken it with both hands. Um, of course, nothing, I'm sure you would agree with me now based on your economic position, not, there's no such thing as free. <laughs> uh, and I, in my opinion, they're still not going to be happy because I know some of the fallers at Vitz, for example, who are kids of very wealthy parents. Um, they, they happen to be black kids and their parents are very successful and mm. very wealthy. Mm. Um, and they were all, a lot of these kids were fighting against was having to pay back loans that they had taken against their studies. I don't, I don't know, I'm not sure the reasoning of not actually just paying for their studies. Um, but, uh, because, uh, in in one instance, one complained about um, not being able to buy a nice enough car when they finished because they had to pay back money essentially. So it would take away from their car deposit. Um, so so you know I, I still those people will still be left out because if you're part of the middle class, mm. um, the, even the free education is not going to include you. Yeah. Um, Ramon seems to be running a bath in the background. Um, so. Yeah, sorry about that. It's um, it's it's, it's my bath time. Absolutely. All right. Um, don't forget the bottle. Uh, so, so they still won't be happy. But I think there is, in in that sense, a victory on their part. Um, some people, even and, though it's short term, and I, I, I yeah, short term and and probably unsustainable. Um, but I think even if you were fall, fees must fall at the beginning in the way I described for the underprivileged person who deserved to go to university but couldn't, perhaps there is a victory there still to be celebrated. The thing is, there's a lot of grievance. Yeah. A lot of people fell by the wayside. People died. People got, um, incarcerated. Yeah. Right. And some people improve their political standing. People yes. got higher up jobs, you know, As because Okabe the is of these things. everywhere. Kebo yeah. is everywhere. I don't know. Uh, there was a lady who's head of BDS in 
Wits University. Mm. She's I, also, I know who you're referring she's to. She's also uh, gotten higher. Is it sure? Is sure ah, it's, is, I don't want to get the name wrong. Uh, but, is it Corona? Uh, uh, no, 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 no. Uh, not it was the it was the one where um, when the where, at the heart of the protest, she was the one wearing the kafir uh, with her hands yes. sort of clenched like a um, um, Black Lives Matter sort of activist yes. at the front of the sort of march. Um, she was very sort of prominent. Um, she's she was meant to go to um, the US um, uh, about six months after that, and I. I was one of, uh, I think, a few people who reported her to the United States um, because I felt that um, <laughs> wow. given, given her given her heavy support for um, terrorist organizations like Hamas, uh, they probably didn't want her in their country. As far as I know, she never went to the U.S. Um, and a so, lot of these people were, weren't really underprivileged people. A lot of these people come from very oh, well no, no, families. She was, she was going to go to Europe, somewhere in Europe, I think potentially Germany or Switzerland or somewhere to study at a, a very uh, high-profile uh, place. Um, so, look, th- those are some of the toxic sort of people involved. And I agree with you. They've, they've used it as an opportunity to rise in the ranks. Uh, people forget, though, where people like Floyd Shivambu came from, uh, people like Julius Malema, when they were uh, involved in student politics and involved in lower sort of uh, bodies, um, which uh, – which caused a lot of damage at universities. This, this is always the way it, it works in, in my experience thus far is um, you've got to do something that makes the headlines. Yes. And then if you make the headlines, you sort of get street cred yeah. um, within the party or within mm. the organization. Um, and well, so, uh, yeah. But that's what, Floyd, that's what Floyd did, right? He got yeah, suspended absolutely. or expelled from that for punching someone, a punching a lecturer. And he did stuff before that as well. He, uh, uh, Floyd yeah. was involved with protests at Wits uh, that ended up with burning of uh, – it was the first time they, they burnt books and libraries and things, destroyed uh, – not destroyed completely, but caused a lot of damage to a, a law library um, and uh, threatened other students, uh, shut down classes. This was long before. This wasn't when it was a fees must fall thing. This was admission stuff. And, and the most important thing about all of that is that we must not use the F word when speaking about him because <laughs> that would be offensive and that would be a sign of – White privilege and colonialism. <laughs> yeah, um, just uh, you know, the, the hypocrisy is always is always quite interesting. But fine. So we've we get to this point where we've now got some. They've moved the needle a little bit, and and there's free education. Whether that will work out and last is 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 remains to be seen. We we know where we stand on that. Um, but tell us a bit about Stellies because people might be listening to this podcast and they'll say, well. There's a lot of racism at Stelly's, and uh, you know there've been there have been incidents. That's oh, that, that it is true. Um, there have been incidents, um, certainly. So we can talk about the fees must fall side, but we can also talk about um, the incident at the hostel where the um, the workers were were made to. Um, it was a Stelly's, if I'm not mistaken, drink the or eat the food that had oh, urine in it. Yes, that was some yes, time yes, back. Yes. No, um, that was the Free State. No, that was Free State. state. Sorry, free was state that Free was State? That's right. Sorry, wrong Afrikaans institution. The, the Salamash um, one is the woman that dressed up as aliens, but then it turned out that they were actually, they were convicted for blackface and then they were suspended. Yes, was right. that sort And of they, they have been... Oh, and violent incidents There have been other incidents, yes. sure. And there's, there's still, um, there was something, I think, about a white residence that was sort of kept as a white yes, residence. Yes, 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 Um, You know, that didn't white allow Afrikaans, black yes. people in, into it. Um, so there have been incidents. So tell us a bit about, like, you know, is is this stuff uh, very prominent? Is it kind of, you know, more of a fringe thing? Um, what's it like being on campus? I mean, well, my campus is like 
closer to UCT than it is to Stellenbosch. Yeah. So my camp is a bit different. Um, it's more diverse ethnically. So it's not really that sort of thing where you feel like, okay, no, this is like a white dominated area yeah. sort of thing. On campus, I would get where that would come from because it's, yeah, Stellenbosch is pretty good at keeping its views, keeping its language. It's been pretty forthright in where it stands. I'd mm. say Stellenbosch and NWU uh, are the two places that have been standing where they are. Yeah. All right. Ramon, would you yeah. want to comment? Uh, well, no, I mean, I never been to studies. I just heard it's full of Afrikaners, which is something, um, I suspect. Uh, no, outside of Fees Must Fall, Liaho, I mean, to me, the smallest minority in many Western countries, and I include South Africa in this, is the black conservative guy. I remember, uh, growing up in the 80s, there was two in America, Thomas Sowell and Walter E. Williams. That's it. Now there's a few more, thank God. All that, mm-hmm. but you, Liaho, you are in the minority, like one of the tiniest minorities in this country. Mm-hmm. And I just want to know from you: is it a, is it a, are your positions difficult? I mean, are people happy to discuss your positions with you? Are people amenable to them? Because there's there's, a, there's unfortunate uh, link of conservatism slash capitalism to apartheid, which is which is which actually is a fallacy. Correct. Of course, which is incorrect, but that perception still persists. Um, and, you know, it's difficult to, for people to understand that apartheid was socialism for blacks and state capitalism for whites, really. There was very little free market capitalism. Mm. So in your, in your day-to-day interactions with perhaps your friends, your family, <clears throat> are, you, are, you, are these conversations happening? Are you, you know, are you happy to discuss or do people not generally talk about politics and economics well, with you. If, if something comes up, then I'll give my point of view and then they'll listen to it and then be like, oh, okay, I've never actually thought of that before. So when it comes to the minimum wage laws, people think that, oh, no, um, not paying someone a specific amount of money is exploitative. Then I'll say something along the lines of, okay, why do you believe that you have the right to tell someone who to pay what? What gives you that authority? You know, what makes you define what exploitation is? Why are you so paternalistic? Do you not believe in the autonomy of a human being to decide what they want to do? Isn't it worse to make someone who, let's say, uh, the employee has 800 rand per month and they can only pay someone that amount of money and um, you basically you're denying them the ability to pay someone money because you feel as if that's exploitative. They could have helped either party. The employer could have done better by paying that person 800 rand, that person can have 800 rand, they can spend it the way they want. So, yeah, you basically have to, people will ask you a question and then you'll answer, you'll answer it in a certain way and then they'll think about it and be like, oh, I never thought of it that way. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's the joy of civil discourse. For minimum wage, I always use the example because it's quite potent about a, a woman living or, or a man and a woman with a child living in, say, Soweto and having to travel two hours in the morning to work in Santon, for example, and they can afford a thousand rand a month to pay a nanny to look after their child. <clears throat> All the problems arise if it's illegal to do so or they're not able to do so through legislation or Indeed. policy. Indeed. All, I mean, everyone's better off if the employee and employer are able to negotiate together on what is um, 
good for both of them. I mean, that's the essence of trade in a way. And the government coming in and saying, oh, this, you know, this form of trade is immoral leaves everyone fucked. The child, the parents, and the nanny. And there's a long-term effect of the minimum wage law, which is the area around if people are getting a certain amount of money. So I don't know if you've noticed, but like food costs uh, way more in Sanson than it would in other areas of Joburg because the people that sell the food here know that people have a certain amount of money. So once the businesses around that area realize that people are earning a certain amount of money, they can bring up the prices of whatever they're selling. Then that leads to... Um, a deficit sort of thing you're starting to pay people more than you're actually producing and then that just increases unemployment so it's just yeah it's a mess all around yeah um, all right so so let's move uh we've we've, we've gone through extensively fees must fall and, and all of that stuff and now we're coming into some nice uh economics and whatever uh what are your Eco- other economics or whatever Jonathan. <laughs> well and whatever and what and whatever we discuss ramon yes uh, uh, because because uh, I, and this is what I'm getting to. I want to I want to speak to Liako's other uh, viewpoints that he feels quite strongly about things that he's that he's he's changed on, uh, or things that are topical right now that he that he's quite passionate about. So so where are you where are you f- feeling the most uh, thoughtful on? Well, honestly, at this point, I'm very upset with politicians unless they speak about economic growth and stuff. Like that. If someone starts telling me about discrimination or if someone starts telling me about land, I just think to myself, hmm, yeah, agriculture is 3% of an entire GDP. What exactly are we gaining from trying to redistribute farmland? Are we trying to destroy property rights? Are we basically destroying food security? Like what, what, what are we trying to do? And then actually, I spoke to my uncle about this, my two uncles, about the land question and also my roommates. And it's for you to speak to someone who is for the land, for land redistribution, expropriation or compensation. Mm -hmm. It's not a point of economics. It's not a point of what is the effect of these policies. The reason why I want the land is it signifies dignity. It It signifies something spiritual, you know, deep inside. Uh, to get to a point where black dignity has been brought up. It's like you've achieved something. Yes. If, if you have land, you, you, you're more of a person. Yes, yes. It doesn't matter if that's through the state or whether that's through other means. It's just that people are actually getting a dignified position. Uh, where does that cultural position come from? Because it is a cultural one, and it's, it's shared by many people who aren't, I mean, if you speak to an Afrikaner on a farm, it's the same sort of argument. Um, so for, particularly perhaps in your community, why is that such a significant attachment to land? I mean, personally, I, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a ridiculous notion, right? It's, mm. a, it's a piece of dirt that's demarcated as yours, and you own it or you don't, whatever. Land is not so much a wealth-creating asset anymore, not in this digital age at least. But I mean, if, if like land was a big thing, then Russia would be like tops. They'd destroy everyone. Yeah, true. Sure. But where does this come from? I mean, what's the? I mean, I, I can I can see the historical reasons for it. I can see why there was historical dispossession by the state, and I can understand 
the, the trauma of that and wanting to get that back or to get restitution. But just this overall notion of land as dignity is, is a strange one to me. So, could, I mean, do you know the reasons? Can you unpack it? Uh, from where I stand, it's just sort of a, a, a it's it's a spiritual thing. It's a it's a point of, um, yeah, as you said, this is the original sin. Something was taken away from us. It's something that's that's to be returned effectively. That's that's how I see it. I mean, for for, I mean, for original sin, you need to go on even before that, right? Oh yes, and then that that then becomes. Uh, historical inadequacies where people don't really know what really happened and why everything happened the way it was. So has your views changed on land since you've um, turned more to economics? I don't really care about land. I, I could. I think that's where it, it has changed. You, you, you'd obviously fight against expropriation without compensation based on a private property rights based, perspective. Based on, based on property rights perspective, but also to the point of, okay, it's 2018, we're in South Africa. Estonia is a whole e-country, right? 24 years ago, they were poorer than us. What happened? Why are we turning back to solutions that were tried in 1918? Something's missing there. Yeah. And and, and why do you – do you think it's it's just a political messaging thing? Is it just, uh, you know, that, that they're – because this whole land thing being a deep sort of feeling uh, concept, you know, people feel inside that it makes them complete in a way. Um, and that's not everyone, certainly. Uh, the three of us in studio, well, Ramon <laughs> on his phone, but uh, but the three of us don't necessarily feel that way. But, but certainly it, it seems like politically that's the message and that's the messaging that's going on. Um, are, do, you, do you feel that, that it's just a political message really at the moment? Um, or is this something that people really buy into? Do you- I think it's more of a political message. So it's basically to a point of, okay, we need to rally up support. We need to get some power. Let's say something that'll get there. So back in 2014, it was, I think, the whole Penny Sparrow incident. Yeah, it's a bit later than that, but a, yeah, a bit uh, later. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's a political gimmick, so to speak, for people to get power. Mm. I don't really think that there's much of that. I think, you know what? If you actually speak to a lot of black people face to face, we are some of the most capitalist people you will ever meet. People that absolutely love the idea of money. People that absolutely love the idea of um, trade. Trade. Trade is huge. People, man. people that <laughs> love the idea of I mean, upward mobility. The Cassie economy, literally. I mean, it's it's huge. <laughs> it's totally exempt from taxation. Mostly, it's <laughs> it's it's beautiful and how much it thrives. Because I've seen communities that have changed vastly from when I was a child to what they are now, and that mm. is basically due to their own will and due to their own trade. It had nothing to do with the state whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's actually a, it's a really interesting point, and one Ramon I'm sure would love. Well, yeah, I mean, I saw a headline uh, only yesterday that said um, this community in the Eastern Cape are so fed up they just decided to to fill up the potholes on the roads themselves. And um, the tweet I put on was "Community action is better than state action," and like someone like some organisation like Afriform get a, a hell of a lot of heat, and I sort of understand. If you dislike what they do or dislike what they uh, want to do or dislike what they say, but the way they do things 
completely on a voluntary basis through memberships and through internal funding. That is a remarkable organization in that way. I mean, I fully, you know, I fully endorse anyone starting something very similar for their own community or their own race if they want to or for their own whatever axiom you want to put in. Um, that's a phenomenal achievement in, in South Africa and more people should embrace it. Yeah, and I think also the point to make is that they, the, what they do try is to improve their own community, uh, and not at the destruction of anything else necessarily. Yeah. Uh, so that's the important part. I think the, the important thing is, is, um, you can achieve what you view as progress without, uh, bringing other people down and destroying things. Uh, all right, um, Liajo, let's, uh, let's just finish off because look, I think you're, you're interesting. How old are you? 21. So we've got a 21 year old who has a very good grip, I think, on, um, understanding economics, understanding, uh, uh, cause and effect, understanding uh, all these, these, these sort of links. Um, and you've, you, 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 you know, that it's a cliche, but you're the future, so to speak, and your, your cohort are the future. Um, so are we, but, um, you guys are, will inherit South Africa in, uh, 20, 30 years, I don't know, you know, whenever the sort of power structures move across. Um, what do you think should be the solution? So we know what, uh, what you know, some of the solutions of the National Democratic Revolution are, but uh, if we can uh, avoid that and go a different way, uh, what's your way? I personally think that as a federalized state, I don't think South Africa is sustainable. Because I don't think that people share a, you know, we can talk about the whole proudly South African thing, but I don't think really people share that, that ideology sort of thing. Like it's not a, like a nationalism that you see in America. It's not a nationalized, uh, nationalism that you see in other places. So if I were to give a solution for South Africa, I would say to basically devolve power from the top, from the states and mm. be given to local municipalities. And I think that Borders are a bit of an issue. I mean, I'm perfectly fine with immigration. I think that we've we've definitely benefited from immigration. Yeah. Jeez, all I heard is is ethno states. <laughs> well, I, I, did you do you feel that way? Ethno states necessarily? I mean, if it's voluntary, yeah, you can definitely perform. You can create an ethno state. I think KZN would be fine as an ethno state. But I don't think like can, a Zulu ethno state. Basically. Yeah, but I don't think that'll that'll be a big thing. I think that we've basically crossed paths cross culturally a lot, and I think you see it in a lot in urban areas. I don't think there's a there's that feeling that ethno states are required. I think it's a point of people will start questioning why is someone up there in Pretoria deciding what I have to do here in the Eastern Cape? Like, it, I don't see why I should um, sit down. And listen to someone who doesn't know what I'm going through. I mean, it gets to okay. So, let's you you are both married, right? Yeah. You both. Ramon, are you still married? Uh, as far as I'm aware, but marriage is a social construct. So I don't know if it exists. <laughs> Shut up. Okay. <laughs> right. So both of you guys are married, right? Yeah. Do you ever allow your wife to buy underwear? Allow? Yeah. Um. Y yes. What do you mean allow? Well, uh, yeah. What do you mean? I mean, like, would you trust them to 
get you what you want. Oh, by, by me and we. Yes. So no, not their own. Uh, yeah, well, I'm sure, she could, she could, she could. I mean, but it's not something that you really trust them with. <laughs> it's uh, it's not something. To be honest, uh, in 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 my relation, I, that's something I buy for myself. It just okay. it just is something I buy for myself. Okay, it's it, it's. It's not uh, no. It's an individual choice. It's not. Okay. Uh, I, I don't think it's it's that I wouldn't trust her, um, but it's just something I've always bought for myself. Okay. So then why? So then when? So you don't trust them to do that. Why would you trust someone who you've never met before, who has a totally social, social, uh, cultural, different background from you, right? Someone who will never meet you in their entire lives. Why do you think that they can make a decision like what sort of healthcare you should get? Sure. Or, or, or what sort of laws you should live by, you know that that sort of thing. That's mm. basically where I see South Africa going. South Africa going. People will question oh. why certain things are. So it's not yeah. it's not ethnically based. It's more um, a different. It's a, a similar values. Yes. It's 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 uh, if 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 you know the three of us have similar values, so we could live in a, a state. Yes. That has certain rules because we'd probably agree on most of those rules. Yes. Hey, Leah can live in my ethno state with pleasure. Interesting, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so you can have value states, right? So, and we already have those to some degree. I mean, Leah I don't know if you know, but in, in Joburg, white people grow up in these white ghettos called golf estates. I don't, I'm not sure if you're aware of them. <laughs> and, and there is also, you know, the values are, uh, cocaine and adultery is perfectly fine. <laughs> As long as you drive 20 kilometers per hour on, on the roads within the estate. <laughs> so, I mean, they really exist and I'm all for them. Roman, what do you do at night to discover people like this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't live in an estate. <laughs> at the moment, you know, but I can see Roman, you know, a bit older, 50 or so. I can see him on, in one of these. He's got to learn to play golf, of course. Of but, course. Uh, no. But, oh, no. oh, that's sports. No, to know. It's a no. It's a no from Ramon. It's a no from Ramon, yeah. <laughs> no, I, was, I, I was offered a, a golf a membership once, and I said, no, thank you. I have a sex life. <laughs> so that's it. Uh, Ramon has now offended pretty much anyone who drives at 20 kilometers an hour in their estate and obviously takes cocaine and is an adulterer. Uh, and anyone who plays golf? I, I, didn't, I didn't say I disapproved <laughs> of cocaine and adultery, or swinging rather, not adultery. I didn't say I disapproved. I'm just saying these value estates do exist. So we just need to, you know, uh, let communities to take their own values. I mean, that's essentially what, what our argument is. And, and the beauty is you can have an opinion on those values, but don't go inside there and try change it unless you're a part of that community. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, let's say South Africa doesn't, uh, you know, it stays. I, I, I don't think it's going to go anywhere anytime soon just based on how, um, you know, power sticks to power. So, yes. so uh, the politicians aren't going to give power away, not, certainly not the ANC, and I guarantee you the DA ain't giving power away oh. if they ever come to power. What? Um, so so the, the, the reality is, let's say South Africa stays, what you really just want is freedom. So as Ramon's alluding to is people can associate as they please, how they please, uh, and do whatever they like. Uh, and they can live in this greater organization called South Africa, but South Africa just needs to kind of remove the shackles a little bit. Uh, you referred to healthcare, for example. I know mm. you're going to go into a healthcare uh, profession, uh, ultimately. In a difficult time yes. with how the legislation is going. Well, right in now. a difficult time from everything. Uh, doctors aren't getting uh, paid uh, in some provinces and, um, 
you know, Ramon, white people and their dogs, eh? Um, <laughs> they're not dogs, they're pugs. Do they count? <laughs> um, well, I suppose. Uh, so, yeah, it is a difficult time, certainly. But, um, you know, I... I our healthcare system is is a, is a slowly collapsing healthcare system, uh, certainly the, the the public healthcare system, and and on the other side the the private system where people get to make their own choices and decisions, which is what you're talking about in terms of underwear, um, is is thriving actually. Um, and the only thing that hampers all of that is actually government interference and legislation. Indeed. Um, yeah, I don't know where Aaron Musaledi is going with it. In terms of our healthcare, so we'll keep an eye on that. Um, I just think that the very idea that if something is performing, that we should shut it down is a bit offensive, no? Yeah. <laughs> well, we won't get disagreement on this show. Um, well, yeah, well, it's painfully paid, paid absurd. I mean, the biggest problem facing South Africa, and we all know this, is central planning. Oh, yes. No. No yeah. one talks about it, but central planning is the reason why race relations are deteriorating. It's the reason why um, there is rampant corruption. It's the reason why public services are collapsing. It's the reason why there's violence for service delivery. It's the reason why the ANC is holding Mahi King hostage while they sort out the internal issues there. Central planning is the biggest enemy of the people of South Africa. And until we get over that... I don't see us going anywhere fast, I'm afraid. Well, I've uh, got nothing further to add. Liajo, anything else on your side? Pretty much everything that we're going through is a symptom of the higher-ups, basically. Their values basically translate down. I'm surprised I didn't mention Jacob Zuma in this entire Well, discussion. go for it. Uh, you're welcome to... Uh, no, I'm just surprised that you didn't because, you know, he, he just got a bride that's two years older than me. So it's like, okay. <laughs> and had a baby. And had a, a baby. In a very posh private hospital. Mm. Um, yeah, he didn't go yeah, but, to but, the public hospital. With, with due respect, have you seen her though? She's quite, she's quite a looker. Dude. I wouldn't say no. I, I, you know, the weirdest thing is, I was totally fine with this. I was like, okay, fine, it's JZ being JZ. The guy can't be held down. He wants what he wants. But then mm. I realized, oh, no, this is someone he knew when she was a teenager. He yeah. effectively raised this girl, and that's when I was just... It's a bit creepy, out. right? Yeah, a bit. It's a bit creepy. Yeah. Yeah, look, I, you know, it's uh, not the value judgment I would make. Um, so, yeah. But uh, she's a she's an adult, and he's an adult, and they decided to go down this path together. Good luck to them. I agree with the creepiness, and uh, it's as I say, not a choice I would make. But um, whatever, uh, I think you, you make decisions in life that then speak to your reputation, your credibility, your honor, your values, your morals. Uh, he's made decisions, and people can judge him according accordingly. So. Good luck to Jay-Z. I didn't raise him because he's basically a has-been. Um, and uh, he can carry on riling things up in KZN. He's got no hope in hell. The ANC has now moved on. They're in Cyril phase. And they will be for the next seven is it seven years before they throw him out. No, it's nine years before nine they years throw him out. Nine years before they throw him out, yes. Yeah, so nine years before they throw him out, uh, unless Didi Mabuza starts killing off people, which is possible, um, since he's the way you read my mind, before. Jonathan. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's, that's the phases we're going to go through. And, and I'm just really glad we've got a, you know, a young generation like yourself, um, a, 
a millennial. Uh, you've got lots to say about millennials, but we've got a millennial in studio who sees things differently. And uh, I hope you're speaking to all your fellow millennials and letting them spe- see things differently. And certainly your classmates, as soon as they start earning a salary, might realize uh, taxation is a oh, bit no. of theft. Oh, no. Everyone's a socialist until they start earning 40,000 rand, man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you're a socialist until you have to pay for the things you advocate for. No, uh, hold on, hold on. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, socialist when you're young, then you become a capitalist when you're earning in a salary, and then you become a socialist again when you're stinking rich. That's how it works. Yep, absolutely. And uh, once all your money's overseas, uh, then 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 you're very much a socialist, and you think uh, things should get a lot better, of course, um, for everyone. And you you abhor privilege, but you're not giving up any of yours. Hashtag Hollywood. <laughs> Indeed, awesome. you'll dictate what what other people need to do to be successful uh, through paths that you never chose to be successful. Yes, and w- through which great? you will not sacrifice anything, anytime, ever. No, <laughs> right. no skin in the game can't be trusted. Yeah. Anyway, is it, uh, Leah Hall? I mean, the only thing I can say about Jacob Zuma is. I'm deeply disappointed he's not president. He was on a mission to destroy the ANC from within. Standing ovation, um, Roman. Say again. Standing ovation, I agree with you. Yeah, he was. I mean, his fucking, his fucking ex-wife couldn't even bribe her way to the top position. That's how useless they are. Have you seen her Twitter? Oh, she was hacked again. Yeah, so. <laughs> she's always hacked. Whenever she says something stupid, she's hacked. I wish I, I wish they had hacking when I was at school, and like I could go, to the, I could go to the teacher and be like, that test I didn't do well. I was hacked. I was so hacked. <laughs> she could have been our president, guys. That would have been terrific. Imagine her being president. She can't. She can't tweet properly. And so now, if if she had expropriation without conversation, do you think the EFF will even go close by? No, she has a Zuma surname. They'll never touch her. Expropriation wouldn't be an issue, and uh, the Zuptas would have just destroyed the state from within, hollowed out SARS more. I'm still trying to see like a downside to all this, but anyway. But no, no. ANC knows what's best, so they got a socialist in a business suit to do all the dirty work for them, and it's called Ramaphoria. And uh, slowly that's dissipating. I find, yeah, I find the Ramaphoria thing deeply offensive. Because uh, because when it comes to Zuma, he had that bigotry of low expectations from people that weren't particularly black. So he came from rural areas. He spoke Zulu right. well, way better than he spoke his English. He, he read slowly, you know. He was basically seen as a pariah. Whereas with Ramaphosa, he's seen as the good black guy. I've seen many people that would never vote NC start speaking, oh no, I, I believe deeply in this guy. Just cause he smiles well, and just cause he says the right a, He's things. a well-spoken black guy. Yeah, see? he's a well-spoken that's, that's black guy. About. That's why he's <laughs> no, he, so he, great. He, he, speaks for, he speaks really well for a black guy. I mean, I give, I give him credit. Yeah. When it's due. But that, that happens everywhere, yeah. Or on, on Facebook, I'm friends with a guy who, who writes these very long Facebook posts. Very interesting. And all his friends are, like older white Afrikaans people for some reason. And they were like, oh, you should become president. Thank goodness someone like you saying these things, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, that's quite racist deep down. Like, I know they mean well, but because a black guy says what everyone else is saying, like somehow they're elevated to, yeah. to you know, a higher position. Yeah. But I mean, that's, that's, that's a liberal democracy for you. People are free to be in this instance, you know, slightly um, bigoted if it makes them feel good. Cool. Uh, Ramon, we're going to leave it there. You can, uh, uh, in the time we've been talking, you've had a bath, you've built a desk, 
Um, you've petted your dogs. Uh, there's lots of stuff that's happened in the background there, so we appreciate you joining us. Oh, you didn't hear me at the shooting range? No, we must have had you on mute for that, for that part. These are, so, these are very good earphones. I recommend them. <laughs> uh, Yako, thank you for coming into studio. I really appreciate it. Um, it's uh, been great having you. And it's uh, wonderful uh, to speak to someone with these kinds of ideas at your age and on a university campus um, because I think it's important that these things spread. It's not something even I was exposed to. You know, where I am now, I, I was uh, not aware of most of this when I was studying. And and it's really um, it's great uh, it's great that that you're you're at where you're at. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Jonathan Witt only got red pulled at the age of fifty. So, yeah. And look at me now at sixty, Ramon. <laughs> Just you, you're you, you're catching up slowly, right? So, uh, as always, you can uh, find us on Twitter at Renegade underscore reports. Liako on Twitter? No, 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 never. Keeping away from it. It's probably not a bad idea. It's uh, not the greatest uh, space for your mental health. Uh, these days, um, but uh, if you want to actually converse with Liako, he is on our Facebook group where we discuss uh, all kinds of topics. He's often quite involved and quite vocal, uh, so you're welcome to come join us there, Renegade Report group, and there's also the Renegade Report page, so don't confuse them. Give us a like on the page, uh, come join the group, come join the discussion, or just be an observer, no problem with that either. Uh, as always, if you enjoy the show, you can uh, donate on Patreon. And if you're listening on iTunes, please leave us a review and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, we are the largest downloaded weekly podcast in South Africa for good reason, but we want to become even bigger. Uh, and the only way we do that is if you subscribe and you get all your friends and family to subscribe, start listening to decent content. Thanks for listening to this show. We'll catch you later. Cheers. This is cliffcentral.com.